This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. On today's show, we've got a guest who needs no introduction to Irish boxing fans. He's fought at the top level of the amateur and pro games, has recently dipped his toe into stand-up comedy, fight commentary, and has even had a go at being a ring announcer. So if you don't mind, I'll let him introduce himself. Uh, thanks for the, the setup, Ken. I'm Tommy McCarthy, former WBC and the NISO, former European champion, and Active pro, fighting here in two weeks. And as you say, I'm just trying a bit of everything these days. Um, just recently, Numa, well, it's about a month, two months ago, I made my stand-up debut. So that's going good. And um, yeah, we're just, we're just here for it all. Anything is going I put my name there. Yeah, a podcasting as well, Tommy, I believe. So there's, okay. there's plenty going on. Just recently, just up off the ground, episode two came out yesterday. So make sure you go and subscribe on all media platforms, the Whiskey and Wade podcast, myself and Tyrone McCann. And um, yeah, we're hitting good numbers on, on TikTok. And everything's slowly building, so... Happy days. And what's the big idea, Tommy? Um, life after boxing or just keeping yourself amused? Because you've a few little ones as well. I'm sure you're you're a busy man. Yeah, that's it. Keeping myself amused. Um, and it's not life after boxing. Obviously, you know, you can't box forever. But it's life as well as boxing. Um, there's a spend my whole life, you know, dedicated to boxing and, and you know, consumed by it. As all top fighters do, even not even top fighters, even guys who are you know kind of middle of the road, but um people who take this sport seriously, they give everything they have to it, and it takes over your whole life. And I'm sure, you, well, everyone hears the stories of fighters say, but you miss birthday parties, weddings, you know, holidays. You miss out on a lot of stuff, and um. Because you're everyone's focused on this this 
ultimate goal of being, of becoming a champion. So um, through my twenties, all the stuff that I always wanted to do, but I never had the time to do. I'm saying, do you know what? Let me just do it now when I'm still, you know, young enough. And um, well, you're still young enough to use TikTok. Joe like I, I don't have a personal TikTok account, but we have made one for the for a podcast. But actually, do you have a personal TikTok account? But I don't use it. I, I made one in the in the lockdown when everyone was making dance videos, all the kids. So my wee girls had me doing all this, doing, doing all this shit. So I was like, great. And then it's just, and it's too complicated for me to use that before Instagram. But um, yeah, just where well, I still have the energy and and I'm still able to do things that I want to do. I'm gonna do it like, because you you really you give everything the waxing and um it just eats something spits you out. Yeah, but is there not an argument you made though that in your thirties and as I guess every fight is so high stakes? And not that it isn't quite the case in your early twenties in the amateurs, because every fight matters. And as you're coming up as a young pro, but you're at the stage now where is it not where you need full 100% dedication or is it that you can train smarter and you have a bit more time? You do spend a lot of time commuting, don't you, to the gym too? Um, you know, as you say, the 30s, that's the money-making years. So I've been fortunate enough for the last couple of years to be involved in big fights. And, um, you know, my dedication that I've um, gave to the sport, mm. you know, been worth wearing now. But it's um there's there's I'm training up Belfast now as well, so I'm not training with Dan Boyle. So I have time where I'm not commuting, I'm not away in Dublin <laughs> or away in England. You know, I have time to do these things. And like I said, I'm still hundred percent dedicated and training my balls off every single day, but there is more like there's more things that can be doing. There's more things I can offer the world, not just boxing. Obviously, uh, everyone who gets in the ring has to be ambitious. And I know the aim was to be become a world champion in boxing and might still might still achieve it yet. What about your aims in comedy? Is it just to just to amuse yourself, got the invitation and did it? Or would you like to maybe make something of it after you hang up your gloves? No, like I say, my lifelong goal from when I was a child was the being a world champion boxer and um i still have a few years to, to achieve that goal and i'm still working towards it in terms of um stand-up and never had any goals and I, I don't have any goals in it i'm just doing it taking it as it comes and, and it's enjoyable i enjoy getting up and you know performing so if something happens with it then i'll be buzzing but like I haven't went right this time next year. I want to be doing a Netflix special or no. Uh, yeah. I'm just it's, doing and and having a crack with it. It's said to be one of the most daunting things a person can do, stand up comedy. Because you can be you can be a funny guy in class, you can be a funny guy among your mates, you know, on social media, the whole thing, but standing up to do stand up comedy. And I guess it probably seems like maybe the same with fighting. You know, people can fight in the schoolyard, you know, fight. In a pub, fight wherever you want, but to actually get up in front of an audience and display your skills as a boxer. Is there a similarity there? Very, very similar. Um, so 
a lot of people from a starter doing stand up, people are going to be, oh, some balls on me. Oh, and I'm going, Jesus Christ, lads, you know, I'm a fighter for a living and have been from when I was friggin' a child. Like, there's, there's nothing more braver than claiming through the ropes. So for me, it wasn't done getting up on stage to try and crack a few jokes because what's the worst that could happen? Nobody laughs. Big thing. When you're going to defeat, if, if things go wrong on the net, you get the face punched off you. But before the, my first show, we were all in, you know, like the backstage area. So it was like the boxing dressing room and everyone was going through like the it was like the same kind of rituals that boxers go through. So everyone's got their wee corner in the in the dressing room and people are going over their notes and I'm in a towel, blown, blown yeah, air. Yeah, you know what I mean? And everyone's trying to get their head written. And there's a wee bit of chatter and then everyone goes back trying to get in the zone. And then you're waiting for them to come in and go, right, you're on next. And then so that the next person, you know, you're getting closer, you know, like because it's a card the same as like a boxing card like yeah. you're next on the build so you're going right and coming up and then and then you go out and everybody's all the ads are on you but you have to forget about the crowd and you know like stay switched on so you can remember your material so it's very very similar it does it does sound it yeah like I mean because they say the part of a boxing is the, the most worrying part is the lonely hour in the dressing room before you make the walk to the ring and that does sound daunting for a comedian as well, backstage, just getting ready to go out. Is it going to work? Will it freeze? Yeah. I, I thought ready to go up and be a big like, case of beer and all, and no, everyone will be chilled out. But this, that wasn't the case. with a big crate of water. There's a couple of biscuits. And everyone, there was people just pacing up and down. <laughs> it's smart. And did you see some of the ones, did you see some of the lads, like, you don't have to name names, but like looking really nervous backstage, but went out and killed it and maybe yeah, vice versa? To be honest, everyone, all the shows that I've done, everyone's been on fire. But a couple of guys have been, you know, like up shadow boxing and all. <laughs> yeah. Lads right over there. No, like, all very, very same dynamics as a boxing dressing um, what's what's uh, you don't you don't have to give away your act or anything like that because I'm sure you work very hard on it. But what's what kind of material are you using? What's your what line yeah. of comedy are you looking to? Uh, well, I'm a storyteller. Um, so I'm just talking about my experiences and life growing up, and um, it's not like I'm not like one liners. So just up just telling stories, mm. and they're all you know true stories. But I'm just putting the, you know a comedic spin on. And do you, do you make up a lot of stuff or is it all like fairly based on reality? No, it's not based on reality because it's um it's easy. It's easy to, you know, tell the truth. Like see if you don't say if you're gonna be a liar, you have to be a good liar because you always have to remember. Yeah. So the like it was easy for me to put a set together because I was talking about stuff that had actually happened. So it wasn't like I'm sitting here trying to go red. What if I say this, that, and the other, and make up something? Like, I was just, I just tell real stories that it actually happened, but, you know, just embellish you a bit to make it funny. Oh, naturally, yeah. A bit of boxing in there, or is it, uh, you know, I've just. I've done boxing yet because 
you know, it's my early phase of it. So I don't, I didn't want to go in and be, everyone's expecting me. But yeah, of course. Yeah, the boxer, so, comedy, comedian, yeah, of course. Yeah, so they just go up and tell, talk about fights and all. So I haven't even touched on, but even though I have millions of stories that are funny around boxing, but I'll save that for one, you know, I'll get a wee bit more into it. You don't want to telegraph the shot, you know. You want to, you want to throw a few subtle jabs out there first. Yeah, dress it up. Um, yeah, like we had your storytelling abilities on the podcast before. Obviously, you contributed to our our uh, podfest with uh, Tony Davitt, and there was some great stories there about, about working with him when you came through with the Irish Junior Team. No, oh, what, what a moment! Well, and Tony, I you could literally do a, an R set on Tony Davitt stories. It's just so many funny things that has happened to him, but Tony's a legend. And I think I expressed on that um, tribute for him how much love I have for him. And um, I still see him from time to time at the shows and that. He's just a, he's a funny, funny guy. Yeah. I remember you were coming, you were coming through, you're on obviously on that world junior team. Um, but then you were the man at senior who was trying to stop Kenny Egan's record breaking run. And that's when I first, first really became, you know, you became known to me. Um, Kenny obviously was the king of the national stadium at the time, but you you gave you you gave your money's worth as well. And it wasn't you that was able to stop his run; it was Joe Ward. Ultimately, who came after you. But those fights were they were great. Like they were really uh, they got the excitement going. No, like uh, that was um, I was like Kenny was the king, but I was the king of the underage thing. I mean, before I uh, let have you. I was beating everyone and knocking people out and all, which isn't um, normal for underage boxing and amateur boxing. And I Kenny, I remember when Kenny went to the Olympics, obviously I just, everyone thought, you go to the Olympics and then they're going to go pro after. So I was supporting Kenny fully, you know, at the Olympics and I remember watching him and, you know, really getting behind him. He actually, when I was a kid, he actually came and took our team for a training site. So I was in my head going, he going to be my coach when I hit senior. Because he's a burning coach, he needs so much knowledge. But then they come home and I start making a, a documentary about him. And I remember he grabbed me, we're in the camera, and he says, this is the senior final next year. Mark my words. And I was going, I'm not your content, but then it ended up being a senior film. And the first time, you know, I was young, I was 18, and I was full of bravado. But I got a, not even with, with Kenny, in the quarterfinals, I got a rude awakening because I forget who I fought, but I was winning easy, and I was, I was landing at will, and I was like, I'm going to stop him in the first round. It was bang, 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 bang. And none of the punches were, like, affecting him. So it's the difference in fighting a child and fighting a man. And then, then I won well, like, when I come out of my team, that was hectic. And then the next fight, I fought um, Brandon Fitzpatrick. Oh, yeah. And then that, Endless, was a, yeah. that was a tough fight again. And then I was like, these seniors, not just, this isn't like the under 18 like they use. And then I fought Kenny. And everyone was saying to me before, oh, don't worry, I can't punch. And I was going right. And then he went, the first punch he hit me, I remember thinking, 
who the fuck said he can't punt? They're all there. <laughs> who who did give you that advice that he can't, can't punch? Was it just a, to instill a bit of confidence? Guys in the, on the team. Lads who are trying to give you a bit of confidence, perhaps. Uh, guys, you know, who probably didn't like Kenny and were, you no, know, like, one me to win. I'm trying to, like, highlight his, um, his flaws, but oh, he's not a punter, don't be worrying. I was like, right, he come in, he hit me the first hump, boom, smooth. But, bang again. Just everything, and so I fought these two guys who were knowing the semis and in the quarters who'd been around for a while. But then next, I'm fighting the ultimate late heavyweight in the world because Kenny, he lost in the Olympic final, but he should have won. Should have won, yeah. Should have won. The number one in the world at that time, and it was just, it was just like a massive wake up call for him. But it was a good. I was glad for it. And then when I fought in the next round, I was very, I was prepared. I was ready to go in. And um, I thought I won the second thing. I was, I really was beat up about that. I was crying my eyes out afterwards. And it was just, I was gullied. But that second fight then, as me and Kenny became friends. And he, uh, obviously the first year he fought, he was just young upstart. He's a bit of a wanger. But then the next year when we fought, earned his respect. And um yeah. It was a it was a genuine rivalry for a for a while. All right. I think when he won it the second year, didn't he break the record? So he had the most wins yeah. in a row. So he was kind of satisfied almost with his career. He didn't win another one afterwards, actually. I don't know. Or did he win at another rate? No, I think that was it. In eleven, then Joe Ward came along. Yeah. And uh, yeah. everything changed. You were up a heavyweight by then and you you know, you brought your knockout power with you. He scored more knockouts in the amateurs than most fellas I saw. Yeah. Ditsy Joyce. Yeah, that was a, you know, Ditsy, I remember he started stabbing on um, Facebook and he was going, he was writing stuff. Everyone, go and stick your money on me and then other fighters who I respected were going, listen, stick your money on Ditsy. He's good odds and all. was going to see his fans really up for it. And um and then I remember fighting him and he was on the back foot and it was like I think I won the first round by a point. And then the second round it was a point up again. I remember going back to the corner and Patsy was going Patsy McAllister was going you are one lazy bastard I mean it you are one lazy father. You don't think give me any advice you are just a Tommy you're one lazy son of a bitch and tell me. And for a last night, you're only a point up. For fuck's sake, you need to do something. Stop being so lazy. And I ran out and I just banged him. And then that, that was it. Then I got my first, first senior title. And then the, the, the same thing happened in the next year. Same, the exact same. Jim, Jimmy Sweeney, was it? Was it Sweeney? Jimmy Sweeney. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Jimmy had sparred so many over the years, all the time. Jimmy's good. Like, is he the same Jimmy Sweeney that went into the bare knuckle boxing? Or is that a different? I don't know. I don't know. Different? I'm not sure. Right. But Jimmy on. was good. Like he, and he fought Kelbrook underage and he uh, he ran Con, I think he, Con Shane beat him by a point one year and 
it was really, really like classy, and and it was the same exact same thing happened. There was a point up after the first round, point up after the second round. Patsy saw giving me a polygon. Yeah, <laughs> and then I just called him again in the third round because it was close. Then he had to come in even more, and then I was more banged my left hook and he went down. And he got up and I looked and he was on shaky legs. So I just ran over and threw a big haymaker. Boom. And that was him. Are the best nights, uh, are the, the best nights when you perform really well or when you score a savage knockout for a title? Not good. Because <laughs> that's all people, like, see all that stuff I just said about what happened in the previous rounds. All irrelevant when you land a big one. Yeah. Like, Jesus, Macari's a banger. That's just... Oh, I, I, every time. I thought, um, looking back at it, uh, I thought it'd be maybe Con Sheehan or yourself would definitely end Ireland's heavyweight drought that goes back to, I think, 1947 in the majors. Garrodo Coleman, I think, at the Europeans. And he won a gold, or was it at the Europeans? But since then, Ireland hasn't won a heavyweight, at a ma- heavyweight or a super heavyweight major medal from bronze to silver to gold I'm so close so close lost on a split the Argentinian is that the one that got away from from them all yeah do you know what I was so because Argentina you don't think of them as a a strong boxing nation and I I'd I'd had friggin three fights before it to even get to the quarterfinal and it a big two-seated guys and I was really on form and being conned actually roomed on that trip. I remember in April 4 fighting Argentina and I was going, Con, what the heck? Because Con obviously had been on the senior international scene for me, was 18, so he knew everyone that played heavyweight and super heavyweight. And he was like, oh, Tom, he's good, but uh, You've got it made, Tom. You've, you've won it. You've already got it. Oh, I was going, fuck, I hope he's right. I hope he's right. And then it was just pipped at the post. And I thought it won it, but it was just, it was, it was razor, razor. And but there's guys coming through now who I think could end that trip. There's a guy really impressive, um, Marley. He's really good and he done well in the under 22. So I think, you know, there's hope yet. Yeah, I, hopefully Marley is the man for it. He got a got a cut, didn't he, at the European seniors in his very first fight, I think about five seconds into the second round, and that was it, cut over the eye, fight was over. I thought he might do it then, but he's still quite young, so he's got a lot of time. Um, bit of a second or not to get to the Olympics 2012, Tommy? It was, you know, because, as I've said before, him, like the Olympics was never... A goal of mine. I always just wanted to be pro. Like after the World Championships in 2008, I was looking to turn pro as an 18 year old. But then I got wrapped up in the Olympic dream. And when you win the seniors and you're on on the high performance full time, it's like you form like a family with with the lads. So everyone was on the same same page. But one reason I books one and then. I was so close again, so I was I was got it, and uh, then I was thinking, you know, I can 
Definitely. I'll, I can, if I keep improving the way I'm going, I'll go to Rio. And Zord said to me, listen, the most Olympic, on average, Olympic medalist are 26. And you'll be 25 coming 26 for real. So don't even think we're going pro. But I had one more year in the amateurs and then but I went pro. What, what was it that pushed you and did you regret your decision? No, it was just, um, I got offered a really good deal. And um, I couldn't say no to the money. <laughs> yeah, you're not the first boxer, not the last. Uh, I remember uh, earlier in your career, I remember yourself and Jason Quigley turned pro, probably around similar times, and the odds being on you were, the odds on you were generous to be a world champion. Uh, I think it was by 2020. Advertised uh, to all of us. All None of us ever done it. <laughs> Who was it? You, Quigley, and was there somebody else involved in that? There was, a, there was a few. It was me, Quigley. Um, I think Phil Sutcliffe was in. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, right, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if... Yeah, it's, I, I, took the, I, I took the odds on you. Yeah, I, thought, I, I told you before. And do you know what? You see, the, um, the pandemic kind of did... The shoot... They should have redone that bet because the pandemic kind of wrecked things. Because in 2020, the pandemic hit in March, I'd say, 2020. Yeah. But I had agreed terms to fight for the WBA Super Title of Easter of 2020 out in front. Didn't know that. We were all good to go. And then the pandemic hit and boxing shut down. We'll have to call in the uh, we'll have to call in the Paddy Power adjudication panel for this one. Yeah, I think. <laughs> who? What was the fight? Who are you supposed to be fighting? Because by that stage, you'd you'd rebuilt your career. You know, you had your first loss to Maddie Askin, a, a real upset loss. That was that was. It was on the same night, yeah. I believe, as the first Karabov. Uh, no, not Karabov. Kovalev against a uh, Ward fight. And oh, yeah. yeah, it was on the same night in the early in the hours beforehand. You re- rebuilt your career after a loss to Richard Riakpour, won the European title. So now you're telling me at the uh, I didn't notice now, you're telling me at the start of the pandemic, you're in line to fight for the WBA World yeah. Super Titles. Who who's who are you gonna be taking on? Austin, in France, was it? Yeah. So good of mine. I actually hadn't won the European title by then. I was WBC champion and then I still champion. Right. Yeah. That's because being um Fabio Turkey, he was such a well ranked. He was on the feet across all the boards. So my rankings shot up across all the major bodies. And then, um, Grimarian's team offered us the fight. And I, I was like, fuck, I don't know, I don't know. And then I said, no, I say, Mark, Mark was talking to me. He said, if I was your father, I'd say grab it with both hands, but I'm just subduing it. I says, you know, I just go, we're in the game for it. You'll be a world champion. This is what I've been working for. So, 100%. So, we agreed everything. And then, uh, yeah. we were just actually waiting for the official announcements and all to be done. And then, COVID shaped him. Yeah. COVID came in and wrecked the plans. Did you regret taking either of the Chris Billiam Smith fights? I know the first was really close, dispute decision. Um, 
but you went in, you know, as European champion, and it's probably a fight that you didn't need to take. But then again, it's probably for a good check on a you know a large audience seen around yeah. the world, and that's what you're in the game for, as well as fighting for world titles. Like, I, have, I don't regret the first fight. I thought of one it was very close, but um, you see all that. This is why I don't like the word pro boxing. People picking and choosing who you're fighting. If you want to be the best, you have to you have to beat everyone. And um, so I didn't regret it. Um, the second time, I wanted I wanted the rematch. That's the exactly the thing that I wanted. And um, when it came around, I was buzzing because I'd I'd been I started training on the third of January. And I'd really been living a life, you know, like just in case something came up. And then when they offered me the rematch, I was like, yep, let's do it. And um, I just, things just kind of didn't go according to plan. And, you know, like in a couple of weeks from up there, the fight. And then I remember uh, one of the days of, Everything was just going wrong. I was trying to stay positive. And I came home one day, other training, and I said to my wife, I said, Amy, you see if we wasn't getting a good payday here, I'd pull out of this fight. And she said to me, do just pull out any of you? She said, nah, but I need the money. So I we don't need it. And I said, well, I want the money. <laughs> and um, so... That was the thing. Like if, in hindsight, I, I wish I had a faked an injury or something, you know, like so I could get everything, so I could fix the things that were going wrong before. But um, what was going wrong? Just you know, I don't even really want to go into it too much, Kevin, to be honest. But there's just a lot of. Just things weren't going right in the camp, and then um, and then I got a new like I went and sparred, and I the, the two lads fucking bothered me, and then I was like, them bothered me like, but they got the best, of and I was like, I'm not ready to come. I ready? They've done ten rounds. And I was like, I'm nowhere near ready, and this fights in two weeks, but um. Listen, you just have to you have to roll the dice. And that's what like I said, like boxing is the professional boxing is the only sport where you can go, all right, I'm not doing this, so I'm not fighting him and no try and take the easy road to try and get the, the top of the game. But what's the point? You know, go in, give it your give it your best shot. If it doesn't if it doesn't work. You just rebuild again. So that's what happened. And had you had you learned enough about William Smith going into the rematch, or had he learned how to counteract you, or do you think do you put it down to whatever camp problems you had yeah. as well? I, I feel that he made adjustments mm. around me. And um I didn't really because um I was going right. This is all he can do, and I know what I know what he can do. And in that fight, the first three rounds, I was going right. I'm in control. This is good. I felt like 
the first three rounds, I had dominated. But then it just started, the wind started slowly falling off. And then when he, he cut me, I cut him. And then so I was going, right, I'm going to start focusing on this cut. And then he cut me. I don't know if it was from a punch or a Kaiser Heads, but he got me on the left eye. And all night, he'd been swinging this red hook. But I could see it coming, so it was like either raiding it or blocking it or, you know. But then when I, I stood up to go out for the round, the blood just dripped down into it again, straight away. So I couldn't really see out of the right eye, and he threw a red hook. And then when he hit me, it's more the weight of it, you know, that sent me the canvas. So when I went down, I was like, for fuck's sake, this is just gone from bad to worse. And I looked at and Mark was going, can I just stay down? And then so I thought about it. I was like, no, fuck it. And I stood up and I stood up and wrapped with it off. But it's just, it's just sport, isn't it? It's just mm. the way it goes. And so if, if it's just sport in, in just sport, people win, people lose, they carry on. Did you did you ever consider hanging up the gloves after? Like it's obviously a devastating loss. Yeah, I lost. Then I, I was like, you know what? Um I can't keep doing this. Um you know, like it's just I've had two cracks. Like if I had a won the first fight, that was me in the uh, next stratosphere. Mm. But I won the second fight, the same thing. Like if I had two Basically, tearing the went wrong both times. So, um, you know, what can I keep doing? And then I went away. I went to Jamaica. Um, like the two the the two days after the fight, I went to Jamaica, and it was good. You know, like the the getaway where people didn't know me because if I had been at home. Everyone would have been coming up to I would have felt shame walking to a freaking shop, you know, about having to be blood and dodge you know, like having to go over it over and over again. So it was I went to Jamaica and, and I didn't have to talk about it. I didn't have like nobody knew me and it was just I was able to relax. But then somebody recognized me and uh, come up to me and he says, You know, I've been I've been looking at you all day. You're, you're the boxer and I yeah, yeah, man, I knew that was you. Man, I knew it was you. And he was a, a boxing fan. And he was like, you know, I've been watching it for years, brother. And I was, yeah, but that made me feel good then. You know, like, I'm here yeah. and just going to have a fun. But um, then I came home and I just started training again. And Mark was like, right, this is what we're doing. We've got the plan to get you back on. Um, something's going to come up. He says, you just need to train, 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 train. Because somebody's going to, Give you a chance because if you get beat there, and then we go on, I McCarthy's a credible opponent. Same what happened to Ernie with Fabio Turchi. So um, we just started training, and I went, end up in Estonia, and I had a fight over there, and then come home with Nine Marshall and Arshon, and so I'm fighting again in two weeks. So um, just back back on the horse, up on the up on the uh, the rear. Real national broadcasters at TG Akahar, yourself and Eric Donovan, and a host of uh, local fighters. It's you should be. Are you excited for this uh, opportunity to fight on TV in Ireland for the first time in a good yeah. while? Like, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, I think it's probably the first time fought on, on Irish TV since the singers. So it's great in TG Akahar. Everybody 
has it that it's you know terrestrial TV. So yeah, it's important to be to be on be on that on that platform. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously it's a it's a fight you probably expect to win. I'm not I'm sure you're not gonna take it too lightly, but um you know, it's your uh, your third contest of 2022. Uh, is it after that? Keep training, try and take it out before Christmas, or you know, take it easy until next year and see what see what opportunities open up. Uh, just keep training and stay ready for, um, you know, anything that comes up last minute. And I like to, yeah, I'd like to have an arm before Christmas. Um, hopefully, get a big one. So just stay, stay ready, stay in the gym. Yeah. What's the what's the current walkout tune, Tommy? What are you going with these days? They change all the time. Like, um, the, my last two fights have been James Brown. James Brown against Bill Smith, the big payback, which um didn't work. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James Brown's a popular one, my lads, isn't it? I think Crampton and John Duddy, I think, used it as well. What to pay the cost? Yeah, yeah. Like my the reason I picked the big payback because I was like, this is payback for the first fight because I get robbed and I'm gonna get you back this time. But wasn't meant to be. And then when I was in Estonia, Mark was like, oh, I picked I picked the um a song for you, James Brown, but I didn't know what one it was. So when the music came on, it was wax me, I'm coming. What? That's like, so I haven't even picked the ring song for some of that. Marcus been texting me, asking me, but I have to think. Do you ever hear other boxers come out to songs and just go, what are you doing? To be honest, I can't even think, though. I never really pay attention to much the ring watching. Remember when Anthony Joshua was fighting Usyk the first time? And I was like... This is him. He's gonna win. Hundred <laughs> percent. Come out the rocket. Yeah. There's no they, easy way out. Yeah, and there was because he, he didn't fight him. Because that's the as soon as it kicked in, I was just like, Josh has got this in the way. <laughs> when I heard him playing that song, I, I yeah, I kind of thought, oh, he's gonna really go from. He's gonna maul. He's gonna run at him, and then he stood off him. I was like, all right, yeah. Yeah. you didn't pick the right tune here, Anthony. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. So, um, Tommy, just we've mentioned uh, your comedy. Uh, any any more shows coming up? Yeah, so um, I've had a hiatus um to after respect. When was the, the last one I done was Don't Die Feel, and then so I'm booked for a couple more shows in October coming up, and then we're going to I'm actually going to England with Paddy McDonald's bringing me with him. Um, on his on his tour, so we're going to England to do a couple of shows in November, and then see like your comedy mentor at this stage or something. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. cool to have. Yeah, what's he like? He's a big help. Yeah, because he's he's from you know like the same area as me, and he's got loads of experience, and he's funny. Like he's a funny guy, so he um he's keeping me right, and he's giving me the opportunities as well. You know, it was Sean Haggerty was the one who gave me my first opportunity on his show. And Paddy was on the same, he was having a boat. And then when he seen that, he was like, Tommy, I was burning. So then he's kind of, you know, took me under his wing. So, um, yeah, the comedy's going great. And then we're doing our podcast, like I said, Whiskey and Wig. And um, 
You did a you comment. I mean, you made your commentary bow as well with Paddy Gal on the recent Conlon boxing show. Yeah. It was good. Listen, then enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, um, Jamie, Jamie, um, rang me and says, but no for the show that I want to do, do um the commentary for the undercard. It's going to be me and an RFL, and he couldn't do it. So Paddy Gal had called around and he was like, um, tell tell Jamie I'll do it. So. I said to Jamie, there's like no sweat, and then the, the two of us. Paddy said, oh, everyone's loving it, everyone's loving it, but I didn't even go near the comments or anything because I thought people would have been slating us. But it's been good feedback. No, to so, no such luck. I don't, are p- people maybe aren't as cruel as uh, as they're made out to be. Maybe people are just nice, who knows? Mm. Um, are, you st- are you stuck with Dan? Are you, st- stuck are you staying with Dan Boyle? You've moved around trainers a lot, like you've been obviously. You know, picking up bits and bobs from Brian McGee over the years, Ensley Bingham. You've been with Pete Taylor. Now up with Dan Boyle. Is are, you, are your feet now firmly planted in Belfast for the rest of your career? Do you think? Yeah, I hope so. Um, like I say, like me and Dan Boyle, you know, we know each other from from M11 because Dan has been a coach on the amateur team from before I started boxing, and then he started training pros, and so I've known Dan. From from as a kid, and um, so it's easy to work with. We have we train hard. We have good pregnancy, and you know it's all one to one stuff. So I'm buzzing. Uh, I'm buzzing with with a setup. And as it stands, I I would um, you know, want to keep it that way. But uh, I just you never know what's gonna happen tomorrow. So I'm not going. Yeah, I'm gonna be with him forever. But I would like to as it, the way things are going because he's, he's a fantastic coach and he's on basis. Yeah. And he wants it as much as me. Do you know what I mean? He wants to make his name as a as a top coach in, in world boxing. And um yeah, it's brilliant. I'm really I'm really buzzing being up in the team. And the other coach that I work with or involved in Britain too, like, you know, Pete Reynolds Pete's one of the best coaches in the world. Uh uh like, Genius in boxing and and Anthony Bingham, uh, absolutely loved working with with Bingo. And the only reason why I ended up already stopped was because I was in England, and I was inactive, and I couldn't afford to you know keep renting the house and living over. But um, I'm still in contact with him, and he's just a smiling guy. But yeah. Belfast for the time being well yeah. for the for the present for the foreseeable future well look Tommy McCarthy it's been a, a rocky road to the top but you've still got you've still got a few more years and you're about to sound things yeah. tell us a story before we go anything come to mind you story? once explained you once explained to me the difference between a Belfast boxer and a Dublin boxer well a Belfast boxer is a lot more you know humble kind of like Kikati the perfect example. Kikati won their best. And um if you went up and asked him, is are you any good? He'd be like, mm, all right, like, you know what I mean? I'm straight like not too bad. And almost fell past boxers if you go up and go, what do you like? So we go, ah, I'm all right, like doing all right. But you go to a Dublin boxer and it could be brutal, it could be useless and go, Well are you any good? Listen to me, pal, anyone the fucking man. He's battering this one. I battered him. I oh, yeah, gave him a clatter. And they're all like, 
you can listen to him and go, fuck you, man, fucking Berlin. Holy shit, he hadn't even had a fit. The dubs are full of confidence and, you know, they, which is a great trait to have to be a boxer, full of bravado, but Belfast ones are, hey, they use this, they're quiet confidence. Yeah. Actually, yeah, probably your, your story kind of reminds me of not that he's a terrible boxer and like that he's very good, but John, John O'Carroll against Anthony could catch it if they ever find a way to make it. We might yeah. have the perfect example of what you're talking about there. Yeah, like John, you know, as you know, John is world class, but John mm-hmm. is learn. And I remember when he was fighting Dago the first time, and he two fights, and he was like, oh, I mean, I, This ain't gonna batter you. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to me. I'm gonna stop you and all everyone. Jesus Christ, boxing. Like, I thought Dakin was gonna beat him behind him because Dakin had the experience. And then he beat Dago. It was brilliant. The two war, two dubs slammered, but. Mm. And then Donald's obviously ran on to be what he's became. But Tim Kikachi ever thought it would be Donald shooting Kikachi and Kikachi just. Then, oh, I dead on. Like, <laughs> the struggle that. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a great, a great one down the line. But look, I'll, I'll take no more of your time today, Tommy McCarthy, a man of a jack of all trades, man of many hats. Thanks yeah, for joining yeah. us today on the Rocky Road. Well,